Cavalcade Audio Productions presents Star Drifter, the science fiction patio book series written and read by David Collins Rivera. Book Two, Street Candles. Today's installment, Chapter Four. I'd more or less taken over the passengers as my area of responsibility. Rena didn't want to deal with outsiders, I could tell. This included me, but the awkwardness between us had faded as the days went by. And Small's team was very quiet, so I didn't mind. Really, they were a spacer's dream come true, paying customers that didn't need a lot of attention. Ah, Ejok, is it breakfast time? Ah, Mr. Small, yes it is. We'd gotten friendly enough that I could match his phony tone, and he knew I was matching it, and it seemed to amuse him. The others paid no heed, except for Hannah Smith, the short woman who had started watching me during the week out of the corner of her eye, insect-like. It might have been flattering, except that it wasn't. The big guy, Brock Hockner by name and fate, I mean, he just looked like a Brock Hockner, was from Imperial Space. When he deigned to speak in my presence, his accent was like that of Ben Roggenstein's, though much less pronounced. The lady with the green hair hadn't said a single word at all while I was around, not even a thank you or I need clean towels. I knew her to be Ellen Wozniak, though, from the manifest. Accepting Small himself, they all struck me as bored and antsy, as if this trip was a disliked but unavoidable delay to their jobs, which I guess it was. The latest news out of Barlow came in just before we jumped, I offered, to fill the void as I set out the meals. That was received with interest across the board. A container craft arrived in system as we were leaving, and I guess we managed a data reap. The Choral Prime bundle is only two days old. I think that other ship snagged it secondhand from somewhere else. Anyway, I didn't expect it, so when I did a search for anything Barlow-related, it came right up. I thought you might want to check it out. Small gave a nod to Hannah Smith, and they called up the Tri-D over the table. Thank you, Ejok. You're quite thoughtful. No problem at all. Can I get you folks anything else? But there was no answer as the news literally and figuratively loomed large over their breakfast. That left me with roughly half an hour before I needed to check in with them again, so I scooted off to my closet to work on the puzzle that was still gunnery. The code from Buzzer's defense spech had required debugging and simming. I mean, without physical access to the hardware, she could only bring it so far. But it was amazingly clean work for all that. I needed to set up tack challenges of many kinds, let them run in both diag mode and in real time, then play them through a wide range of simulation scenarios. Then I could compile a new list of issues to fix. Nonetheless, assuming it all went as expected, and equally assuming I could gain enough mastery over the system to do it any kind of justice, this hapless jumble of cast-off equipment would be able to command almost any battle space it was used in. I'd be getting a picture of the combat situation on par with, and in fact superior to, military vessels of a similar size. 
Of course, I wouldn't have any real-time networked sensor feeds from supporting vessels, so that more or less made facing military-class ships just a pipe dream. In one-on-one -on -one action, though, within its size and general classification, Griselda wouldn't have a peer anywhere. If I'd had to pay for this code out of pocket, well, I simply wouldn't have been able to. Like the woman's earlier version of the software, this one had plugged right in and found the con pipe immediately, clearing the last major hurdle for the system. From that point on, it was a diet of tedium as I ran down bugs one by one. I didn't have time to get sucked into it again at this very moment, but come next shift, I'd bring all systems up and start the diags. After that, it would be the Sims. And after that, well... Missiles cost money, but I figured that Carmi might, if I asked obsequiously enough, let me test fire the lantern guns while we were still in jump. With a pocket universe all to ourselves, no one could get hurt, even by accident. This new software, when ready, would enable the Melkotches to respond seamlessly to commands from the hardware interface, something I needed to actually see in action before I'd feel comfortable. Bennetham's logs, though spotty, showed several live-fire tests during previous jumps using the old software interface, so there was precedence anyway. Some captains I'd known forbade live-fire tests of any kind for no logical reason I could ever understand. On the other end of the spectrum, one captain I'd worked under required them to be performed in normal space. I think so he could pretend there was a skull and crossbones bearing down on us and he could say, Fire! with playground-style authority. Fleet washout, that guy. The rest of them had fallen somewhere in between, allowing for regular live-fire tests of the directed energy weapons during mid-jump and advanced missile sims at other times. It was, after all, an investment in safety, and prudent captains protected their investments. Small's group wanted another carafe of coffee and one of juice by this time. They'd been re-watching the Barlow News, and Hannah Smith was taking notes on a data pad. I watched it myself later. There wasn't much, and what there was seemed unremarkable. Traffic reports from Finery, the one and only city on planet, sports scores from some weird skiing game called Bastono, they showed a few seconds of people slaloming down a big hill, occasionally batting at each other with what looked like rubber batons mounted to their ski poles. Economic news that sounded fictitious, even to me, and just a quick mention of some labor protests in the outer towns. The president, name of Thomas Billings, was a thin, bald guy of late middle years who had good taste in suits. He was shown in a photo op with somebody identified as a union boss, apparently indicating that he took the protesters' complaints seriously. He was everywhere, in fact. A statue dedication of himself, a hospital, bearing his name, where an injured worker was recovering, and even that wacky ski event. The man was ubiquitous and came across as a tireless champion of the people. That might have been true, but the protests seemed to indicate otherwise. We had more floor polishing and laundry to do, so Rena and I were busy most of the rest of the shift. After that, I was able to set up a long list of diagnostic tests for gunnery, but they would take time to run and didn't need my input. This actually left me with a couple of hours to kill around early mid-shift, so I hung out in engineering. Ben Roggenston was minding the store while Sherry was off duty. She pulled third and first shift during regular flight, and he had it covered at other times. That gave him plenty of opportunity to monitor, tinker, and show off his engines, which he was eager to do whenever I showed up. 
So there must be a huge power surplus, I commented, after he had detailed the energy output scheme of the equipment. Ja, he replied, but pointed at the power plant. That piece is original machinery. Engines can provide all energy you want. Could even mount 270 megawatt grazer weapon with engines output, but power plant cannot convert nearly so much. A 270 megawatt grazer? How do you know that? Was main gun on hulb yet? Why not upgrade then? You have money for new power plant. Well, no. Ha! <laughs> you find money for power plant, you come talk to Bin Ragenstein. Only cost maybe 25 million! He laughed uproariously at this, as if it was the funniest thing he could imagine. I laughed too, because at that point, if I had 25 million, dumping it into a small, debt-ridden merchander was about the last thing I'd do. If you were to load up on quick-charging capacitors, could you mount your grazer then? I asked him after the mirth had vented. He chewed it over a bit. Yeah, he hedged, but would only get maybe one shot every five minutes. Could not miss. Not enough for deep combat. Why would a merchander be in deep combat, I countered. He shrugged. Could happen. But grazer illegal for private use in alliance space. Not so in empire. In imperial space, your so-called civilian merchanders are all run by the same rich nobles who own the military fleets. And half the time, they're the same ships. Not half, only some. Griselda not have enough shielding for Grazer anyway. Gamma rays kill crew after first shot. I know, I'm just thinking out loud. What about an X-ray laser? That'd be good for both offense and defense. Again, would be one shot every few minutes. Salvo comes, you only take out one. What defense is this? No, you target all the missiles, I explained, and use a beam splitter on the shot itself. Gets the whole salvo at the same time. He thought deeply, like it was a philosophical question. And to an engineer, I guess it would be. Finally, he just grunted and shrugged again. Could work. Not against military missiles. Splitting weakens beam too much. But civilian missiles? Tja. Well, if fleet is shooting at you... I didn't even finish that, but he nodded in agreement. Military and civilian. Two classes of space vehicles. Both potentially armed and armored. Except that to military vessels, civilian-class ships were effectively harmless and helpless. It was a matter of magnitude. Griselda could fire a grand total of 16 missiles, each the size and shape of a large salami, while a battleship could launch a 100 missiles, each one fully half Griselda's mass and with more than double its shielding. Of course... Any object traveling fast enough, even a tiny civilian-class missile, can spell big trouble for a ship on impact. But getting a salami shot past a military space vessel's point defenses would be an almost unbelievable stroke of luck. You'd need total surprise and a very specific series of mechanical and competence failures on the target's end. And yes, I'd sim this before, many times. We talked about hypothetical energy weapon upgrades for a while, until Sherry showed up and she laughed at our prattling. Well, if it ain't the good old boys. Sherita's late, Ben Roggenstein replied. Should relieve of duty, but then you do no work at all. I'm always late, she explained to me, even if I show up half a shift early. Is in your soul. When time is to go to heaven, God will say, where is she? Should be here by now. And Sharita will wander in, saying, 
Hey, is good old boy God? Sorry to be late, God boy. Was sleeping. She put on a mock incredulous face and mouthed God boy to me, and I laughed. It was getting late, so I thanked the older man for the talk, said good shift to Sherry, and left. The diagnostics were done running, and sure enough, there was a page full of errors to be tracked down and fixed. Not bad ones, though, and I'd expected more. Some of the problems would prevent me from running any simulations until they were dealt with, while others would cause issues like archiving faults, cyclic errors, or just simple response delays, which were minor scripting bugs usually, but they could get you killed in a crisis. The very good news, though, was all the machines that required intercommunication seemed to be doing so. I wasn't ready for battle, but the system was finally a system, instead of just a collection of random equipment. I was so proud of myself, I jacked Gunnery directly into the comm and called Carmi. Her response was polite, though puzzled, appreciation. She understood that I saw this shift's accomplishments as a milestone, but didn't get it herself until she noted on her display that I was calling from a new station aboard ship, called, naturally enough, Gunnery. Ham had never even gotten secure comm working properly, so this much made an impression. I also read off a few quick sensor and power feeds to show that I was receiving real-time data. I asked about a live fire test once I'd knocked all the rust and dents out of the software, and she said she'd think about it. There was laundry to separate, fold, and deliver, so I left and did that for a while until it was time to get the dinner orders. Small's team still had the tri-D going when I came in with clean linens, this time displaying a schematic of several orbital trajectories over a wireframe model of Barlow. I understand you're a very experienced gunner, Ejok, Small said to me by way of greeting. About twelve years in the field, subjective. I nodded at the display. Expecting a poor welcome? No, not really, but it's hard to say what we'll find. I'd like to think we can rely on you either way. I'd like to think so too, though I haven't had a chance to research Barlow's space defenses. Looks like I should find the time. Think they'll be covering the jump point when we arrive? Well, I don't know. I don't think so. There's little permanent settlement in orbit and nothing in the rest of the system, so there isn't much to protect. From what I've read, that is. You must know more than the news is showing to have come all this way. We've heard some things, he parted with, but frankly, I just want to do a story about the people. It's a harsh environment, and the work is hard. Over 80% of the economy is derived from various agrochem industries utilizing grains genetically adapted for the climate. Any politics or civil unrest we cover will only be for, shall we say, background color. How far is it from Tyree? Forty light years? <laughs> That's a long way to go just for some human interest stories. Small put a big newsvid grin on his face. Okay, you caught us. We actually have several assignments there. The current events and people stories are only two of them. We're employed by the Minescu Media Group, which owns a range of news journals. Ever hear of it? No, I haven't. Big outfit? Not very, but its parent company is RTC. Ah, them I've heard of. Megacorp. Big and old. That's right. Apparently RTC wants to increase its terraforming assets and they need some pretty video to show investing corporations. The job they did on Barlow isn't anything I'd boast about personally, but they seem to be proud of it. In addition to covering all the social and political news, we're tasked with collecting success stories and getting them ready for the consumption of their finance officers. I just go where they send me. We all do. 
I stood there, thinking over his fast and well-practiced story, but his smile held a long time, so I finally put one on too. Well, isn't that interesting? Here's some towels. If I can take your meal choices, we can get a head start on dinner. Six, eight, and ten meters. Okay, dorsal and ventral weapon mounts are fully extended and locked. Double-checking on opticals confirmed. Everything looks good. Power feeds are showing green. Melkoch diags show green. All systems nominal. Gunnery is now hot. Do I have the word, Carmi? You have the word, Ejok. Proceed. Thank you. Live fire is a go. Commencing test sequence zero, late flight salvo suppression simulation in one eight zero seconds. Mark. Repeat, we are at three minutes. Carmi sounded bemused on the comm. I'm not sure just how serious or not I was supposed to be about my job in order for everyone else to take me seriously, but I wasn't about to back off on my own protocols just to keep a smirk off their faces. It was clear by this point that they were completely ignorant of defensive issues. That was another tick against Bennett Ham. He'd tarnished the respect that was due something very important to me. It wasn't too important to anyone else, it seemed, but then they'd never been shot at. Actually, that wasn't fair. Ben Roggenston, and as it turned out, the blonde woman I'd first seen on the bridge, named Anya Stokachian, did understand. Anya had a nearly incomprehensible low-speak accent that I suspected was papal in origin, and Sherry confirmed later that she was indeed out of church space. Anya was mechanistically all business, to the point of seeming like another installed device on the ship, but she stopped me in the companionway one time to say, in broken English, that she was glad I was fixing gunnery. She had on a tank top at that point, and I noticed a small but unmistakable unit totem on her shoulder, a tattoo that marked her as ex-military. So I had the fighting grunt's respect. That of the others could be earned, though hopefully not the hard way. Sherry had decided to go in and watch the show from engineering with Ben Roggenston, though it was her off-shift. All set down there, engines? All set, Ejok. Test Series 0 to be drawn through the power plant... Test Series 1 to be drawn through backup batteries. Anytime you're ready, Picos. Chortle and Mirth. 67 seconds. Ira, sensor suite is active on my end and looking good, but I don't have control of optical filters yet. Can you dial down blue-green to 13% for me? Oh, sorry, Ejok, you asked about that, didn't you? Here you go. The open comm channel buzzed then, and it was Rena. I swore silently before answering because I hadn't thought to put it on hold. Ejok, Mr. Small says they have a fresher clogged up. Do you want me to handle it? I know you're busy. I am actually, yes. Would you mind, please? Okay. Sorry, sorry, sorry. She rang off, sounding sulky, sulky, sulky. Her grieving was going through a petulant phase while I was nerved up about this test, so we'd been snapping at each other. I felt like I was being tested, as well as gunnery, as if my reputation aboard, assuming I had one, was on the line. 30 seconds. Engines, I have a power flux showing. Ah, is only conversion variance, the older engineer chimed in. Normal thing. Will have no effect on guns. Thank you. 
15 seconds, 10, and 3, 2, 1, 0. It was all manual for this, and I activated the heavy lantern guns in a standard stutter suppression sequence. The Triple S was designed to be a 7 second burst, and I was watching instrumentation, which all showed fine, when Carmi broke in. What the? What is that, Ejok? What's happening? Holding test sequence zero. Carmi, what's wrong? Everything looks good from here. That purple lightning stuff. I'm watching opticals. What happened? Those are the guns. This is a live fire test, remember? But they never shot like that before. Whenever Ben fired one off, it was a steady beam. I did my best, but it had been building for nearly two weeks, and I just couldn't keep the annoyance out of my voice. Trajectory targeting is no good for late flight defense. If a missile is inbound at high acceleration, it might be moving too fast for telemetry to analyze. The first round of this test is in stutter mode, which puts the guns into alternating positive and negative polarities, creating a plasma haze around the ship. I have it constrained because of the jump bubble, but this is otherwise standard stuff, Carmi. Okay, okay. Take a breath. I just never saw it before. Well, you're seeing it now. You hired me to do this, Captain. I'm not a hack with a big smile. I'm a professional. And while we're at it, nobody told me at the interview that gunnery was a broken junk pile. Ailerada jumped in at that point, cementing my feelings about him. Whoa, this is your show, Ejok. Nobody asked you to fix anything. We were doing fine with the basic gunnery program. No, you weren't. You were just lucky. And if that streak ever ends and all Griselda has is the basic program to work with, then believe me, everyone aboard will be deader than Bennett Ham. Of course, I kicked myself the moment it left my mouth and the cold, drawn-out silence that followed gave me plenty of time to do it. This was one of those enfeebling points of time when you look at a situation, you know you're completely correct, and also know you're screwing it up. I had a mental flash of half a dozen other jobs that had ended like this, with me shouting and complaining over crap I was oh so right about, and I wanted to howl in frustration. Instead, I just sat in a closet and waited for the fallout. Sorry to have interrupted, Ejok, Carmi said at last, mysteriously calm. Resume test. I blinked in honest confusion for a few moments, waiting for her real reaction, but that was all I got. At length, I figured out that she didn't want a discipline issue to be handled on a more or less open channel, and maybe, just maybe, she saw that I had a point. Resuming test sequence zero, repeating first round. I was standing in the engine room as Sherry made an elaborate point of walking around me, staring at my butt. What? Well, I don't see a new one. Ben Roggenston giggled like a four-year-old, a really hairy four-year-old, and I gave the two of them a weak nod. She wasn't mad, not really. She just wanted to talk. Carmi doesn't bring people into her office just to gossip, Jack, But we do. Give. She wanted me to air my grievances in private, that's all. She didn't yell or anything, but, well, to be honest, I don't think she likes me much. Now, Ben Roggenston agreed, but she respects, is more important, was opposite with Ben Ham. 
She sees crew, ship, as family. Ham was family, but was black cow. Sheep, Sherry corrected. Black sheep. She could like him, even love him as family, but not respect. This may be her ship. Can't speak for others, but Bin Ragenstein not so sad to see Jacques in his place. Jacques? I'm Jacques now? Where'd you get that? It was Sherry's turn to laugh at my expense, and she turned away, brown cheeks turning ruddy with hilarity. You have stupid, made-up name. Jacques is better. I like it too, Sherry added, as she gave me a quick hug. And congrats on a successful test. She held me for a half-second longer than I did her, and smiled at me when I stepped away. I was a little confused suddenly, but I returned the grin, and Ben Rogenston said something inane to fill a space that might have gotten weird otherwise. Taken together, this was a good ending to a difficult shift. We spent the next hour or so talking about gunnery, engine room interfaces, and how things could be tweaked or improved. We laughed a lot, and it felt good. Eventually, I had stewarding duties to attend to, so I said good shift and returned to the galley. Rena came in a few minutes later, and I fumbled over an apology for having barked at her. It's okay. I know you were anxious about your test. I heard it went well. On the technical end, yes, I replied. I was objective enough by this time that I could add a wry grin. Yeah, I heard about that too. I know what it's like to come aboard and feel like an outsider. Until Ben and I... Well, until Ben made an effort for me... I felt like I didn't belong. Yeah, look, I said a few harsh things about Ben today. I've been resenting his legacy, to be honest. And yes, I feel like an outsider. I don't know how much of that is in my head, but I wasn't kind to him or you today, and I'm sorry. It just takes time. You're a nice guy. Things will work out. We served the meals and managed the cleanup without any problems. Small had heard about the test, and even my behavior during it somehow. He was pulling that mysterious stranger crap again, but I wasn't biting, and I left him and his crew as quickly as I could. I was back in my cabin, righteously exhausted, when there was a knock at the hatch. It was Anya. She slipped in when the door seemed only open a centimeter and shut it behind her just as quickly. She said nothing but locked her mouth onto mine and pushed me back down onto the bunk. I was stunned and delighted and perplexed and terrified. Later on, when we paused for breath, I couldn't help but ask her why. She stared at me with her intense, ice-blue eyes, which seemed deeply sad now that I was close enough to study them. Her long, blonde hair, free of the bun and loose and tumbling, lent an ethereal quality to her pale skin and lean, muscular body. Her accent was so thick I couldn't piece out what she whispered until some time later. You make me feel safe. You have been listening to Street Candles, written and read by David Collins Rivera. You can check out my site at cavalcadeaudio.com or drop me an email at lostinbronx at gmail.com. That's L-O-S-T-N-B-R-O-N-X at gmail. The Star Drifter theme is a piece called Icor by Trunks and can be found on soundcloud.com. 
The Street Candles theme is called Undercover by Karsten Holy Moly and can be found on dig.ccmixter.org. This production is otherwise copyright 2013 by David Collins Rivera and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license. Feel free to use it for any purpose, even commercial, and I encourage you to do so. Street Candles is a work of fiction and is not based upon nor meant to portray any person living or dead or any particular place or situation. Thank you for listening. Take care.